Well, every time a bowling ball hit the lane, my head started to ring. And I knew something was wrong with me, but I didn't want to face it. I was about 30 years old, and Lori and I had been married a couple of years, and I worked a lot at the church, but I realized something was wrong with me for a while. I, I found it hard to relax. I was having trouble sleeping at night, and then we had a youth bowling event. And I think I had a headache before we even got in inside the bowling alley. But once there, the ringing in my head started every time a bowling ball hit the lane again and again and again. I couldn't handle the normal sound, that normal sound, and it shook me. So I decided finally to go see a doctor and they suggested that I had the symptoms or early symptoms of burnout, which I did not like such a diagnosis. So I decided I'll ignore that. Things will be okay in a little bit if I just back off on some things. But then something would happen and the symptoms would come again. And eventually I had to take time off of work to recover. And that was no holiday. It was a lot of work to face my issues and evaluate how I had gotten to that point. I didn't want to go there, but I had to go there because my body had reached its limits. And at the time, getting better seemed a long way off. But in just three months, I was back at work in a much healthier place. It took help and prayers of many, but most importantly, the power of God and the support of my wife, Lori, made the huge difference. And my restoration led us to consider a move and a new start. And we went to Ontario, to a church in Western Ottawa, where we served for 11 years. So it is scary when you think something is wrong with you. Maybe it's something physical and you have to go to uh, get checked out with tests and with consults. Maybe it's a mental health issue and maybe we find ourselves stressed or anxious about things that other people seem to have no problem with. It could be some destructive behavior that we repeat even though we know it leads to pain. It could be despair that we feel because of life's challenges. It could be some sin that we keep going back to even though we kind of hate it. Maybe we try to control too much. We meddle in too many things and there must be something in us, some flaw, some weakness that thinks that we have to get involved in all of these things just to ensure that they are done correctly. Whatever it is, it is scary when we sense there's something wrong with us. Is it possible to face our fears, to overcome our hesitation, to actually look at that thing, that problem, that reality in our life that we don't want to face? And my news for you today is not really news to many of you, but it's a reality that we need to go back to again and again. It is possible to overcome our fears of facing our need for renewal, restoration, or healing if we come to the Lord with our needs. And we're going to learn about that possibility today from a powerful account in Scripture. 
We will see Jesus approach a man who needed healing. We will see the man's strange responses to Jesus. And then we will reflect on how could we actually come to the Lord to receive his renewing and restoring work in our lives. And I pray that you will receive today what Jesus has for you. I pray that this will bolster your faith in God and his desire to bring good and his good purposes into your lives. So if you have a Bible or if you want to use the one in front of you, we are looking at John chapter 5 today. John chapter 5 verses 1 to 18 And the gospel writer John does a phenomenal job. All the gospel writers do a phenomenal job. But he brings to us stories and accounts of Jesus' life that we don't find anywhere else. And this is one of them. John 5, verses 1, and I'll read to verse 18. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in this place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, And I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath. But he was even calling God his own father. Making himself equal with God. So there is a feast of the Jews in Jerusalem. And any God-fearing Jewish male would make space and time in their life to go to the feasts in Jerusalem and pay homage to God. And Jesus would often go to Jerusalem for the feasts. And this time he goes to a pool in the northeast corner of the city called Bethesda, which means house of mercy. And this was an appropriate name because blind, lame, or paralyzed people came to the pool for healing. Why? 
Well, the second half of verse 3 and verse 4 explain why. Except some of your Bibles don't have the second half of verse 3 and verse 4. Because they were likely a later insertion into the gospel to explain what the people believed. And they believed that an angel would go into the pool and stir the waters. And the first person who got into the stirred waters got healed. So you never knew when the angel would come. And so people camped out there all day, and if the water started stirring, there was a race to the center, to where the waters were bubbling in the hope of healing. Now, we don't know if an angel really stirred the waters. It could have been a natural phenomena. Some of the waters under Jerusalem may have bubbled up periodically, yet somewhere the story started, the belief started, maybe someone claimed healing while they were in the water and you know that when people are desperate they are willing to try and believe almost anything and then John introduces us to the man Jesus will approach in verse 5 one man was there who had been an invalid 38 years which is remarkable in itself for that was almost the life expectancy at that time because it was rare for people to see 50 because of disease and war and famine and the ongoing threat from the Roman military occupation. But this guy has lived at least 38 years. We don't know how he became lame. We don't know how he got to the pool, but it seems someone helped him. He claims in verse seven, he can't get into the pool fast enough unless someone helps him. It doesn't seem that he could learn a trade. He was likely unmarried with no children. He likely spent his life begging and hoping to somehow get healed at Bethesda. He's been living like this nearly four decades. And though that's very difficult, he's used to it. He has adapted to it. It was part of his identity and his existence. And then Jesus shows up and sees the man lying there. And he knows already that he'd been there a long time. So he goes to the man and asks a question that at first seems ridiculous. Do you want to be healed? Well, of course. Isn't it obvious? He's lying beside the pool named House of Mercy. His presence there seems to indicate this desire very clearly. And yet, we just pondered how we can fear facing something that is wrong with us. We sometimes avoid facing the hurt and the healing journey required. So Jesus' question can provoke a healthy self-examination on our part. Do you want to be healed do you really want to get well do you want to change in the ways that Jesus wants you to change and notice the guy does not answer the question he doesn't say yes he doesn't ponder the possibility that this person could help him he immediately focuses on what he thinks is the only possible way that such an event could happen. 
if someone helps him into the pool when the angel stirs the waters. And is that a yes, I do want to be healed and my effort shows it? Is it a yes, I do, but I don't think I'll ever be healed because I can't get there fast enough? Or is it an excuse? I can never get to the water on time, so I just come and lay here each day. My sickness defines me. It's who I am, and it will never change. It's just the way it is. Jesus responds in verse 8. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. Wait a second, Jesus. This man never clearly said he wanted to be healed. He never expressed faith in you. He never cried out to God for mercy. We will soon say, see that he didn't know Jesus' name, so the necessary steps have not been taken for a proper healing. Why are you healing someone who doesn't even believe in you? Verse 9, and at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. So this was no gradual healing over a few months. This was nothing that could be explained by a change in diet or a new workout regimen that slowly strengthened his arms and muscles. He was instantly transformed from lameness that kept him in bed for 38 years to strength to get up and stand up and pick up something and walk. Only someone with divine power could heal like that. John doesn't tell us how the guy reacted. He just describes him obeying the command. He picks up his bed. He walks out of there. But it was the Sabbath day. And we learned last week that on the Sabbath, you weren't allowed to do any regular activities, which included carrying your bed or your mat. And some religious people, likely religious leaders, see him carrying his mat and they immediately inform him he is breaking the Sabbath. How does he respond? Does he say, yes, I, I know, but, but I've just been healed from 38 years of lameness. Isn't that incredible that God would do such a thing? No. He says in verse 11, the man who healed me said, take up your bed and walk. Does that sound like someone awestruck at the great work of God in his life? Or does it sound more like someone, someone trying to shift the blame to the one who gave him the instruction? So his questioners want to know, who would say such a thing and violate Sabbath? And the man says, I don't know. Jesus has withdrawn. So these religious guys leave the formerly lame man alone for the moment and he goes to the temple maybe to thank God for his healing or maybe it's just on the way home we don't know and Jesus finds him in verse 14 and says see you are well sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you so he's been physically healed but is Jesus saying that the guy's sin had contributed to his lameness? 
Many people believed that in those days, including Jesus' disciples. Further on in John chapter 9, they will see a blind man and ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus, Jesus says, neither. And it is possible that some sickness might directly occur because of some sin that we have committed in our lives. But, and all sickness ultimately goes back to the fact that we live in a fallen world that is sin-stained, but it seems it's often not because of a sick person's sin, that they're sick. Yet we can think that Jesus is connecting the guy's sin to his lameness, but it's possible that he's referring to his life of sin. Because he doesn't say, remember that sin that you committed 39 years ago? That's why you've been lame for 38 years. He doesn't talk about some past sin. He talks about present sin. Sin no more. Stop sinning. And I don't think he's referring to some heinous sin that the guy has just committed in the temple 20 minutes after his healing. It's his overall life. He's been sinning his whole life. And never repented. Remember, he never expressed faith in Christ to be healed. He never cried out to God. He never even mentioned God to the people questioning him. And maybe Jesus points to a much bigger problem than his physical illness or lameness. He's spiritually lost. And if he doesn't stop sinning, if he doesn't repent, something worse will happen to him. He will be separated from God when he dies. So Jesus' question, do you want to be healed, encompasses the whole person, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Jesus offers healing and curing of the soul. And how's it, how does the guy respond to Jesus' command to stop sinning or something worse may happen to you? Does he say, yes, Lord, oh, yes, and thank you for the healing, and I'm going to devote my life to God and, and turn to him completely? No. He immediately goes to the people who accused him of breaking the Sabbath to inform on Jesus. Maybe he wants to take the heat off of himself. The blind guy that Jesus will heal in John 9 confronts the religious leaders for their unbelief. This guy goes and tells on Jesus... So they, they know exactly who has done this. Strange. And maybe the guy was just overwhelmed and afraid. His life has suddenly been turned upside down. He can no longer identify as a sick person. He has to figure out life apart from that designation. And one thing he knows is you don't cross the religious leaders they hold a lot of power. Maybe he needs space to process everything that has happened, yet he knows the pressure to conform to their demands. And hopefully, he will turn to Christ eventually. We don't know. But John reveals the impact of this man's report. From then on, the Jews 
persecute Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath. And Jesus responds by saying, my father is always at his work, his work of doing good, of bringing life on the Sabbath and on other days, and I too am working, equating himself with his father. And the Jews knew exactly what he was saying, for in verse 18, John summarizes it for us, that they would persecute him from then on because he broke the Sabbath, in their opinion, and he equated himself to God. So, what have we learned? A man who needed physical healing receives it from Jesus without asking for it. Then Jesus commands him to continue the healing journey spiritually by addressing his sin. We also see Jesus display himself as the all-powerful Son of God. He speaks a few words and a 38-year condition is completely reversed and transformed. Jesus also claims authority over the Sabbath. His Father is always at his work and he too is working. So if we want to receive healing, restoration, renewal, forgiveness, courage to face that which is wrong in our lives, we must come to the all-powerful Son of God for restoration and healing. But how? And that's where I want to spend the last little bit of this message. How can we come to our Lord to receive his renewing and healing work in our lives? Well, first of all, we have to admit our need. And some of you here or watching online have never admitted that you need God. Yet in this account, we have a picture of what God has done or is willing to do for us. We are like the lame man where we've been laying crippled by our sin and lostness for our whole lives, yet God provided for our spiritual healing and forgiveness before we even asked for it. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God has already made a way for forgiveness of sin before we even ask for it. And Jesus asks those who don't know him, do you want to be healed? I've already made it possible for your healing, for your forgiveness of your sins by dying for you. And if you've never received Christ as your Savior and Lord, you can receive him by admitting your need. I need forgiveness. I need God in my life. But some of you already know Christ and you already know the need that dominates you right now. And so if you know that need, you have to admit it before the Lord. And if you are a Christian and you don't know anything that you would admit need for for Christ, well, 
Here's an example, something all of us can admit before God, our spiritual poverty. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we admit this to the Lord. Lord, I am spiritually poor. Even if I've walked with you for 40 years or 50 years, I continue to be spiritually poor. I need your refreshment and renewal and restoration and healing work in my life. Second, address your fear of Jesus' healing work with his promise in John 10.10, where he says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So when we seriously consider the question, do you want to be healed, we initially might say, maybe, but I don't know what that would look like. I don't know what that journey would entail, so I'm afraid. And I know this life over here. But Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. That we might have life and have it to the full so that we can become whole in him. Not abundant riches, abundant materials, not anything like that. But spiritual healing and wholeness which only comes through Christ. So we address our fears by remembering Jesus' promise in John 10.10. And then one way to overcome our fear of Jesus' healing work in our life and the journey we need to go on is to fuel our faith with reminders that Jesus is the all-powerful Son of God. So here we see him speak a few words and a lame person is instantly healed. He is Lord over the Sabbath. He casts out demons with a word. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He was transfigured in all his glory on a mountain with Moses and Elijah. He fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. He is the son of man in Daniel 7 who receives glory, honor, and an everlasting kingdom. He has the name that is above every name. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He intercedes for us constantly. He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. He invites us to come to him to find rest for our souls. He invites us to learn from him for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He is the all-powerful Son of God. And we need to recapture and fill our minds with that vision because the more and the bigger that Jesus is, the smaller our problem becomes. And then number four, fourth, ask Jesus daily to help you with the next step of your journey. In Luke 9, verse 23, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And this is the Christian life. It is a decision every day whether or not we're going to follow Jesus. Not whether or not we're saved. It's whether or not we're going to follow Jesus that day. So if we struggle with fear, we have to fight to overcome it daily. And we depend on the Spirit to grow God's spirit of fearlessness in us. Or if our struggle is anxiety, we depend on Jesus daily to help us see his greatness and depend on his help to see us through whatever we're anxious about. And if our struggle is sin, we ask Jesus who conquered sin on the cross to empower us daily to fight that sin. 
And we don't try to cram eight months of a healing journey into one day. We do it one day at a time. In my case, back when I was 30, it was one day at a time for three months before I could return to work. Some of those days were long. Some of those days were hard. But slowly, surely, restoration came. And I did a little calculation this week. God has given me 716 months of life. So three out of 716 is 0.04% of my life that it took to experience that restoration. And I continue to need God's work in my life. I continue to learn and grow by following Jesus each day. Though not easy, I see God's persistent work in me to bring renewal and restoration and healing. And you and I need to make that choice every day to follow Jesus and his work in our lives. So we're going to conclude today by walking through this pathway. And I would invite you to bow your head and I'm going to talk you through this. First, admit your need to God today. Maybe ask God to bring to mind the number one need that he wants to help you with. Second, address your fear of his healing work by recalling Jesus' promise in John 10.10. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So I'd like you to speak this to yourself. Jesus, you have come that we might have life, that I might have life and have it abundantly. I'm going to break it into three parts I'm going to say it, and then you can repeat after me if you'd like the promise of John 10.10. Jesus, you have come. Say it with me. Jesus, you have come that I might have life. That I might have life and have it abundantly. And have it abundantly. Third, fuel your faith in the powerful Son of God by focusing on Jesus healing the lame man. Imagine Jesus standing there and saying, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And the man was instantly strengthened and healed. And fourth, ask for Jesus' help to take the next step. And maybe you've just taken the next step by admitting your need. And ask for his help to guide you for the next step. And Lord Jesus, You declared, you promised that you would come and you have come so that we might have life and have it 
abundantly. And you know all the things in our lives that are holding us back from the life that you came to bring us. And Lord, it is scary sometimes to face them. We don't want to go there. We figured out a way to function. We don't know if we'll make it. The devil likes to plant those lies that God is not faithful, that you won't make it. But Lord Jesus, you instantly healed this man. Nothing is too great for you, too complicated, too difficult. And so for whatever needs are being thought of right now, I pray that you will speak to the depths of our souls about your deep desire to bring us abundant life. Give us courage, Lord, and help us to encourage one another to continue on the journey that you have us on. And we praise you and thank you that you are who you are. We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.